We are coming to God's word at the end of the book of Proverbs. We have been tracking through the book of Proverbs uh, for a few weeks now, and we come to the very end. Proverbs 31. And we're reading verses 10 through verse 31. So the very end of the book of Proverbs. It may be familiar to some of you. It may not be familiar to others. Some of you may have baggage around this particular passage of scripture. And some of you may wonder, what baggage? So we're gonna walk into this passage together this morning as we wrap up the book of Proverbs, and as we figure out what this passage has to say for us this morning as the word of God. So listen then for the voice of God. Proverbs 31, starting at verse 10. A wife of noble character who can find She is worth far more than rubies. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She selects wool and flax and she works with eager hands. She's like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. She gets up while it is still night She provides food for her family and portions for her female servants. She considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her tasks. And she sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. In her hand, she holds the distaff and she grasps the spindle with her fingers. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. When it snows, she has no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. And she makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. Her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them, and she supplies the merchants with sashes. She is clothed with strength and dignity. She can laugh at the days to come, and she speaks with wisdom. Faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the fares of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Her charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise 
at the city gate. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Some of you may be more familiar with the Proverbs 31 woman than others. She is a wife of noble character who, we're told, sews all her clothing and that of her family members and all of their bedding, because why not? She cooks, and she doesn't just cook, but her food comes from far-off lands, so it's not just the regular old meat and potatoes. She gardens, and not only does she garden, but she also plants a vineyard that bears good fruit. She helps out those in need. She's not just focused on her family. She keeps her husband proud as he's off with the other elders at the city gate. She manages some real estate on the side. And she stays up later than everyone because she is so industrious. And then she wakes up before dawn and everyone else to do it all over again. It seems to be the scriptural equivalent of Sheryl Sandberg's lean in. Women, you can do it all. It's just a simple matter of getting it done. And because it's a Christian version, do it to the glory of God. Get it done. You can have it all. We don't usually study or preach Proverbs 31 outside of women's conferences and retreats, in women's devotionals, or when we hear it at the funeral of a beloved grandmother or mother. Or sometimes, in some churches, when Mother's Day falls on Sunday. This is the go-to text. And that's usually because Proverbs 31 Well, it's obviously for women, right? It's not for the whole church. And and then it's also not really for all women, right? It's for those women who are married, who have children. And sometimes when this sermon is preached, there's implicitly or explicitly stated that if you're a woman and you are not married with kids, you better get on that. In order to be the Proverbs 31 woman. This passage has been used by some theologians and pastors to teach and preach that a woman's place is only in the home. Cooking, sewing, tending children, supporting their working husbands by keeping the home fires burning, keeping everything running smoothly. Just like the Proverbs 31 woman, who is traditional and a complementarian example of what it means to be a woman. And this passage has been used by other theologians and pastors to teach and preach that woman's place is not only in the home, but that they should also work outside the home and lead in business and real estate and design and industry, just like the Proverbs 31 woman, who is a proto-feminist example for women to follow. Which is it? Who gets the Proverbs 31 woman right? We are so eager in some Christian circles to argue and lay claim to Proverbs 31 
in our disagreements about gender roles. That we easily misread and misuse and just generally miss the point of this passage and what a Proverbs 31 woman is teaching us. All of us here at the end of the book of Proverbs. Because the Proverbs 31 woman does not exist on her own. She is the capstone, the the culmination of the book of Proverbs. It's a poem that forms a bookend with the first chapter, with the beginning of the book. In chapter one, we're told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. And here at the end, we're given a portrait of one who fears the Lord. Throughout the first nine chapters of Proverbs, the primary audience of young adult men are told by their fathers and their mothers and their community to seek woman wisdom, to make their home with her rather than with Lady Folly, who's all just charm and deception. And then here we're given a portrait of a woman, like woman wisdom, who's worth far more than rubies, and who blesses the one who makes their home with her. And then in proverb after proverb, in the bulk of the book of Proverbs, there's instruction to be faithful rather than reckless, to be honest and not deceitful, to be industrious and not lazy, to be gracious and not greedy, to be hopeful rather than despairing. And here we get a portrait of a woman who has taken these lessons to heart and lives them out in the shape of the life given to her. Proverbs 31 woman is not here to settle our arguments over who cleans the house and who brings home the bacon. That is not what this passage is about. Proverbs 31 woman here at the end of the book of Proverbs is given to us as a portrait of what it looks like to take the teaching and the purposes of Proverbs to heart. At the very beginning, Proverbs states its purpose and its theme. To gain wisdom and understanding, to receive instruction for doing what is right and just and fair, to raise up the next generation with a godly, wise example to follow, to understand proverbs and parables and the witty sayings of the wise, and to fear the Lord. Proverbs 31 woman is given to us as a portrait of a wise and holy life. An example for all of those who fear the Lord, to look at, to discern, and to follow. Everyone, you know, not just us women folk. And I wonder if we, I wonder if it's because we have a hard time seeing that, because we get tripped up on how the Proverbs 31 woman is often named or summarized. The wife of noble character. 
It's a particular translation, and it's a particular interpretation. The Hebrew here, for just who this woman is in that opening verse, is translated in a variety of ways. Here's a few other ways to translate who this woman is. She's a strong woman. A woman of worth. A warrior-like woman. A valiant woman. Or, as popularized by Rachel Held Evans, a woman of valor. Wife of noble character kind of comes across as the weakest translation, doesn't it? it? It's a pretty weak translation for what is otherwise a powerful description of this wise woman of strength. We've domesticated a term that is actually reserved when applied to men and in other parts of scripture to describe the strength of warriors and leaders. And we have made it sound like a term for a dainty lady, a wife of noble character. In verse 17, if you look at verse 17, it says she sets about her work vigorously and her arms are strong for the tasks. The Hebrew here is actually she girds her loins with strength. I kind of wish they had kept that in there. She girds her loins with strength. Which makes us laugh, because we're like, oh, but she's that dainty lady. She doesn't gird her loins with strength. She might prick her finger. She girds her loins with strength. Is used of warriors, of leaders. Soldiers going into battle. Leaders like Moses or Abraham are talked about that before they make a key decision or have to take a major action as a leader. They gird their loins with strength. Because the Hebrew here is about strength. Not properness, but strength. And it's not just brute strength. We're not just talking that, like, she does CrossFit and she can, like, take someone out, right? It's about a strength of mind and body and heart. And it's a strength about getting the work done that is needed to get done. Which is why my favorite way of translating this is actually not warrior-like woman or woman of valor, though they have their place, it can also be translated as capable. A capable woman. And this is actually how this word, this description of this woman is translated in other parts of our Bible. So if you go back into Exodus, when Moses needs help leading God's people. He is at this moment where he is overwhelmed as a leader. He can't handle everything that needs to get done. And his father-in-law, Jethro, is like, well, Moses, just raise up a few other leaders to help out. And so Moses does. And we're told that he looks to a few capable men to lead and discern and to judge 
the complexities of community life in the wilderness in his stead. He chooses some capable men. And then in First Chronicles, it's right at the transition where David is, is declining as a leader and a king. Solomon is going to rise up and become one. And they're working together to figure out how to protect and guard the tabernacle and the temple. And so we're told that these two kings, well, king and son of the king, recruit what we're told are capable men with the strength for the work, with the strength for the work to be gatekeepers and protectors of the house of God. Capable men with the strength for the work. Same description, same word as here in verse 10. And so I kind of like this idea that Proverbs 31 woman portrays a capable woman who possesses the strength of mind and body and heart for the work given to her. To get the work done well and right. A life of wisdom we have learned throughout the book of Proverbs requires discipline and skill and persistence. Not only the ability to know what needs to be done, what is right, to discern that, but the strength and discipline and courage to get that work done. A capable woman with strength for the work, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. We're gonna switch gears for a second and go into Volkswagens, okay? And then we'll come back, I promise, around to the capable woman who has strength for the work. Does anyone drive a Volkswagen? You are not Volkswagen people. For real? I saw one hand. Anybody else drive a Volkswagen? A Whoa, okay. Who's a Ford family? Okay, Chevrolet. I bet it's gonna be Toyota. Who drives a Toyota? Okay, I think Toyota might win. Everyone else is like, what about my car? Sorry, this is just a segue. I am not a mechanic. I freak out when I have a car my dad can't fix. So this story is not for me. But one of the classic works of Volkswagen maintenance is a service manual written by a guy named John Moore in 1969, entitled, how to keep your Volkswagen alive. John was actually a freelance writer by trade. He was not a mechanic, but he loved his Volkswagen. He loved it. And he loved any Volkswagen. Bug, bus, 411, 412, safari, squareback. I don't know what any of those are, except the bug and the bus. I know those two. It didn't matter what kind of Volkswagen he loved it. And he wanted to fix it, he wanted to drive it, he wanted to keep it alive. In contrast to most service manuals written nowadays by technical writers who work in offices at computers rather than in a mechanic's garage with greasy overalls, John's manual is conversational. It's a delight to read. He's humorous, he's knowledgeable. When you read his manual, 
you are in the garage with him. You can smell the carburetor fluid and the oil. You can hear the sound of the hood being unlatched and lifted. And you quickly learn how much he loves Volkswagens and how well he knows them inside and out. John was not an expert mechanic, and he didn't care for Fords or Chevrolets or Toyotas, just Volkswagens. But he did the work, and he kept doing the work. He became capable. He became knowledgeable for the task at hand. And he was driven just by his love of these cars, by his desire to know them more fully, how to take care of it, to keep it running. And he tried and failed and persisted and had to redo work and redo work again and undo work and redo that work until he knew what was wrong with his Volkswagen. And then he could put it to rights and make it work again. He could keep his Volkswagen alive. In John's opening chapter to his manual, he offers a few steps for how to walk through each procedure to come. And most of the steps are pretty obvious, even to someone like me. You know, read through the whole procedure before you begin. Safety precautions, having the right tools needed for the job at the beginning of a job, and a reminder to keep your tools clean as you go. But then he comes to his last step, step number seven. And this is what John writes in his Volkswagen maintenance manual. Step seven, love. This is a tough one and will make or break you. You must do this work with love or you will fail. You don't have to think, but you must love. And then he goes on to say, this is one of the reasons I have nice tools. If I get hung up with maybe a busted knuckle or a busted stud, I reach for my tools, like art objects, and hold them until the rage subsides and sense and love return. Try it, it works. Love. This is a tough one and will make or break you. You must do this work with love or you will fail. John became a capable mechanic, not because he was an expert, not because it came easy, but because love fueled his work. And that gave him the strength to persist. The love that fueled his work kept him returning even when he failed. The love that fueled his work kept him from giving up when a stripped head or a dropped bolt down the engine made him want to tear his hair out and just junk the whole car and buy a Ford. <laughs> the love that fueled his work gave him strength and focused on the work and the task at hand. Returning to Proverbs. We come to the end of this book with a final portrait of what wisdom looks like. 
And it is not of King Solomon sitting in his temple or his court, writing witty sayings and lofty speeches. It's not a picture of an expert. The final picture of wisdom that Proverbs gives us is of a capable woman who embodies wisdom, not because it is easy for her, not because she can do it all, but because love fuels her work and her life. Proverbs tells us that her arms are strong for the task, girded with strength, that she is clothed with strength and dignity, that she can laugh at the days to come, that she speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. And we're told that she is a woman who fears the Lord. And such a one is to be praised. Proverbs 31 woman is not about our gender roles. It is a picture of a capable woman of strength who lives her life in the fear of the Lord and draws her strength from that. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs teaches us. Not because it leaves us quivering in fear of a God who will punish us if we don't follow every single thing. If we don't rise to the model of this capable woman of strength for the work at hand. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge because fear of the Lord is grounded in our love of God and God's love for us. And that is a love that returns to us even when we fail. That is a love that keeps us from giving up when we are just angry and frustrated and exhausted and done. When we seemingly have no strength left to do the work at hand. And it is a love that holds us together and keeps us going when we want to just throw our hands up and walk away. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Next week is Advent. We're going to begin our journey towards Christmas. We're going to hear the story again of how God so loved the world that he sent his only son, our Jesus, our Savior, our Emmanuel. We're going to hear the story of a son born to a capable carpenter named Joseph who taught his adopted son how to work with wood, how to use the tools of his trade, how to build something right and true with wisdom and skill and grit. We're going to hear a story of a son who was born to a capable woman named Mary, who taught her son how God's love and promises give you strength to do what is so very hard. 
with wisdom and grace and persistence and trust. The son of God, who is our wisdom, the adopted son of a skilled craftsman, the son of a capable woman worth more than rubies, shows us a fulfillment of this picture of wisdom here in Proverbs 31. A capable person of strength who does the work at hand, who blesses all those who make their home with him. And it also reveals to us the fullness of the love of God that keeps returning to us even when we failed returning to us even when we'd rather throw up our hands and walk away. A love that grounds us in the fear of the Lord. The beginning of wisdom. That is a word and a promise for all who fear the Lord. The Lord who is our capable Savior, who has the strength for the work at hand, work of saving us, loving us, work of transforming us by the gift of the Holy Spirit to look more and more like the one who loves us. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our God of wisdom, forgive us the ways that we weaponize parts of your word (laughs) against each other, as we've done with Proverbs 31 so often, and help us through your spirit to hear the word of calling to a life of wisdom that is here for all of us and also the invitation to know Jesus, our Savior, who is wisdom for us. May we grow more and more in his likeness as we seek wisdom, as we seek to love you, and as we grow more and more in the knowledge and the trust that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.